0: Bible books in 30 minutes. Through the Bible, book by book, with author, pastor, and Bible teacher, Mike Beaumont, who's talking to David Tabner.
1: We've been looking at the letters of Paul and we've been looking at letters to churches, but we're now in a slightly different section, Mike, are we?
0: Yeah, we're now going to move on to three letters. We'll look at one this time and two in the next episode, where they were written to individuals now they're individuals in the context of a church because they are two church leaders giving them advice on how to organize the church how to resolve problems within the church and they're two leaders who were very close to Paul's heart
1: so this first leader is, is Timothy so who is Timothy where does he fit in what's his relationship with Paul
0: He was really, really close to Paul. We we have to go back to the book of Acts to sort of fill in the backstory. He was probably still a teenager when Paul first met him at Lystra in modern Turkey during Paul's first missionary journey there that we read about in Acts 14. And either Timothy had become a Christian at that moment, or it might have been that his mother and his grandmother that we hear about had led him to faith later. But certainly uh, by the time Paul returns on his second missionary journey, uh, something has absolutely clicked between these two guys. He calls Timothy here in the opening verses of, of this letter, my true son in the faith. Now that probably suggests Paul introduced him to the Lord, prayed with him himself. But he's clearly a sort of a father-son relationship is how Paul sees it here. And he took Paul with him on his second missionary journey and discipled him on that, eventually sent him as his sort of personal representative to Thessalonica and we find that in 1 Thessalonians to Macedonia in Acts 19 to Corinth in 1 Corinthians 4 so you can see he's he's using this uh, young leader quite a lot and eventually he sends him to lead this big and influential church at Ephesus which is where we find him as Paul is writing this letter to him He's clearly still fairly young at the time uh, because there's a a passage in this letter where Paul tells him, don't let anyone look down on you because you were young. So it it looks like there were some of the older folk in the church saying, it's all right, you youngsters. But, you know, we've been around a while. We know how this church works. It's a good job you never hear
1: things like that in the church today, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So he's a young guy. Not got a lot of experience, but Paul saw something in him, saw some great potential by the look of it, to trust him in the way that he has. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's
0: interesting, Paul like keeps entrusting him with more and more, with more and more significant things. And that, of course, is a great way of mentoring. After all, that's what Jesus had modelled, hadn't it? The disciples had sort of hung around him, watched what he did, and then he sent them out in twos on a short mission trip and had them come back. And eventually he would leave them and they'd have to go out on their own when he returned to be with his father. So Paul is following a good model here of giving responsibility with accountability. And as Timothy grows in that, giving him more and more responsibility Yep, to this point where he has now been sent to look after the church in Ephesus. Remember, we've said in a previous episode, Ephesus, a really influential, significant city it will be from Ephesus that many churches are planted out across Turkey and down the Lycus Valley. So this is now quite a big step up. This this is no longer a, a young man Looking after a little home group or even a small church plant, he's been given now a very significant church to look after, which I think speaks of what a good job Paul had done, but also from Timothy's side, how well he had let himself be mentored and trained, and even now was still willing to take counsel and input. You know, when church leaders ever get to the point where they think they don't need input or help or advice from anybody anymore because they've got it all now, I think that's when we are asking for trouble. Here's a guy who is incredibly open to ongoing input from his sort of apostolic leader.
1: What does the Bible tell us about Timothy, his background, his upbringing, that kind of thing?
0: He comes from Lystra, which was the place that he'd first met him and uh, it, it was his, his father doesn't seem to have been saved, but his mother and his grandmother were. So it's interesting. He comes from a mixed marriage. And it's because of that, that Paul, on one of his missionary journeys, unusually agrees to circumcise Timothy. So there's absolutely no hindrance. He doesn't want anything to hinder the gospel. And and it's from those small beginnings on that first missionary journey when they first met and something clicked that this incredible relationship
1: grows. But he's had some influence then from his mother, you say, and from his grandmother in terms of his faith?
0: Yet Paul talks about that actually in, in the second letter, which we're not looking at today. But in 2 Timothy 1, five, he says, I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I'm persuaded now lives in you also. So there's sort of three generations. What an encouragement it is there for grandparents to say, come on, pray for your grandkids, pray for your children, parents because who knows what God might do when you do.
1: You've touched on the importance of Paul's relationship with Timothy from the point of view of him being his mentor. Mentoring, that's uh, a key part of this as well, I'm sure. It was absolutely crucial
0: to how Paul built leaders. As we look at Acts, we find that Paul never went off on missionary journeys on his own. They were always in pairs. It was either Paul and Barnabas or Paul and Silas but as you also then look at the text you'll find there's a whole bunch of others hanging around with them luke who would eventually write the book of acts is is one of those so he he really does believe in in the value of mentoring and of course mentoring is not just teaching stuff it's living alongside someone it's letting them see how you do it how you respond in certain circumstances But now it's time for for Timothy to go and mentor others, to go into this quite significant church and to seek to mentor and train others, some of whom seem to have fallen into the trap of thinking that they know it all. I mean, one Timothy begins by saying, you know, I sent you to Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer nor to devote themselves to myth and endless genealogies these promote controversies rather than god's work which is by faith he goes on to say some have wandered away from these true teachings and turned to meaningless talk they want to be teachers of the law but they don't know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm so that's interesting he's being sent as a young guy into a setting where there are some people who are teaching who think they know it all. But Paul says they might want to be teachers of others, but they really don't know what they're talking about. And Timothy's now going to have to go in there and start mentoring and training these to become good, solid leaders of the church.
1: And I noticed it talked about them being confident in what they were teaching as well. So, you know, how how is Timothy going to face up to these confident characters?
0: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because Paul has to say to him, don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth. He does seem to have been um, not the most forthright uh, and bold of characters. He actually even seems to have not been in the best of health. Paul will actually say to him in the letter, Take a little wine for your stomach's sake. He had stomach trouble. You know, maybe he got nerves in his stomach as well whenever he had to stand up in front of people. And I love this because the people God calls to be leaders aren't all stereotypes. You know, the leaders in the New Testament are not all cardboard cutouts of St. Paul. Here, clearly, Timothy, while he was called his true son in the faith, is his own person and his own character and and life and ministry is taking its own shape as well, and God's using a very different character there—one who's a little bit timid, one whose health is not always in the best of circumstances—and yet God is going to use him.
1: So, his qualifications for the job of church leader—if you were ticking boxes—there uh, wouldn't be many boxes ticked.
0: No, there wouldn't
1: be, and. Uh, That's interesting,
0: isn't it? Because in the letter, Paul will actually outline some of the essential qualifications for leadership. But it's interesting when you look at them in chapter three, where he outlines the responsibilities of overseers or elders or bishops, all the same word in the New Testament, and of deacons, he outlines some of the qualities that are required. But virtually all of them, I think all but one, to do with character rather than what you do. And, you know, that still remains the most important thing, I think, to God. Um, Not how good a preacher you are or how good a something else you are, but is your character Christ-like? And that's the most fundamental thing that Paul tells Timothy he is looking for when he's going to be setting in elders and deacons. So they've got to be For example, above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Okay, that's a a gifting one, an ability there. Not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. And he must manage his own family well, because if he doesn't, how can he manage the church of God? So all but one there in that list were to do with character, who you are rather than what you did. And I think that still remains really fundamental for good godly leadership in the church today. You know, we've had stories, sadly, at times of people with significant Christian ministries, sometimes global ministries and their own TV and radio shows and producers of multiple books who've then been found to fall over some moral issue because they didn't pay attention to this. They were more focused on the ministry rather than the man. And Paul's appeal here to Timothy is, Timothy, as you are looking out for the right people to mentor and to train up and to put into leadership, look at their character first and foremost. And I I think that's probably what Paul had done himself with Timothy.
1: And I guess... You're saying that this advice is not just about the person that would be at the front, leading, if you like, because you talked about elders and deacons. I mean, just explain the differences. It's a little difficult to know the full extent of what each of
0: those roles did. There's no doubt from the Book of Acts that Paul appointed elders in every place where he planted churches. That's very clear. Elders, bishops. Overseers, all the same word in the New Testament. Those are the ones who had sort of spiritual oversight of the church. Exactly how and who did what we aren't told. Deacons, it seems like they did, I suppose we might say some of the more practical stuff. The, The root word there for deacon is servant. The first time we come across the root of that word is in Acts 6, when those men are set aside to look after the the church food bank, when there were squabbles over who was getting what. And while it's not exactly the same word, it's the same root word. But even there, those servants in Acts 6 were incredibly spiritual, Holy Spirit anointed people. And here, deacons, uh, men and women, he says here, uh, should be those who have got incredible character to them, but we're not told exactly what their role is. And maybe that's because uh, for God, the sort of the principle of what they carry is more important than the exact job description of who does what. But absolutely, we're not just talking here about, to put it into our terms today, the vicar, the rector, the senior pastor. This is that wider leadership team who have responsibilities in different areas of church life.
1: And Paul is saying that character applies right across the board. It's not just for the so-called spiritual leaders. Oh, absolutely. When he goes on to
0: talk about deacons in chapter three, he pretty much covers many of the same things that he's covered For elders, they're to be worthy of respect, uh, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They're to be tested first. Uh, If there's nothing against them, then let them serve. So again, even at this level of serving, character is important. And I mean, think back to Jesus, character and heart issues were always more important
1: to him than the externals. It sounds like whatever roles someone has as a church leader, it's a high calling. Absolutely. I mean,
0: frankly, to to do anything in church life is is a high calling and is a privilege, whether that's handing out the notices at the door or preaching the sermon or serving the tea or washing the cups up afterwards. I just think what a privilege to serve God and God's people. And I think that's the tone that Paul is communicating to Timothy, and Timothy is wanting to communicate in this letter. What a privilege to serve God's people. Now, Timothy, go in there and do with them what I've done with you.
1: And so this is a lot to do with what, setting an example, setting the right example, because obviously other lives are influenced by how you behave. Yeah, absolutely. You know, people,
0: people see our lives more than our words. People aren't stupid. And a church leader or a small group leader can say all the right things. But if then you go and live differently, people see it. People see straight through. And of course, then you you undermine the authenticity of what you say next time. So lives backed up by words, authenticity, it is really important in church leadership at any level at all.
1: So Paul is being, you know, very practical, trying to help Timothy get things right. That kind of implies that things had been going wrong, or that he needed a lot of help and advice.
0: Yeah, I mean, there were clearly some things that needed fixing, that that needed uh, putting straight, and largely because of these people who were teaching wrong doctrine or wrong emphasis. And so, from chapter four onwards, he'll deal with a a number of very practical issues that had arisen in church life. Some of them might seem a bit strange to us. One of them, for example, in chapter four was asceticism. Asceticism is all about treating your body harshly because somehow you think the body is dirty and evil and needs to be kept down and under. And so you wear a hair shirt or you, you fast continually, Why? Not because you want to pray so much, but because you want to discipline your body. And Paul acknowledges there's a great section in chapter four where where Paul says to Timothy, yeah, train yourself, but to be godly, Timothy, for physical training is of some value. He's thinking of the Greek love of sport here again. Physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So don't go down the line of, of these ascetics, but yeah, train yourself by all means, because um, that's really important. Don't let anyone look down on you uh, because you're young, but rather set an example. And then in chapter five, he deals with different groups in the church. He He deals with had to deal with the older folk in the church, had to deal with the young, had to deal with widows, had to deal with slaves. Remember, there are a vast number of slaves in the Roman Empire, and slaves would have made up a big part of the church. Goes on in chapter six to deal with very practical things like warnings about the love of money. And if ever there was a passage that's for our time, it's certainly chapter six, verses three to 10, where he he warns about the dangers, note here, the dangers not of money, the danger of the love of money. He says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And I I think we see that again and again in our culture today. So some very practical hints, in a sense, quite a bit random. There were obviously issues that were live and relevant there in the church that timothy needed to give his attention to
1: i think you said earlier when you were talking about the different types of church leadership that paul references both men and women so let's just talk about that hot potato the role of women in leadership Uh, what advice does paul give to timothy on that
0: well it, it is a bit of a hot potato and this is one of the letters that is often not liked and i think it's not liked uh, whatever other reasons one may have for what you think about women in in leadership and so on or not but there is a verse here that i think is misunderstood he says in chapter two and by the way this is in the context of worship, This whole section is instructions on worship. So when they come together, he, he wants prayers to be offered, prayers of intercession for those in authority. He wants men to lift holy hands in prayer and not get into fighting. He wants uh, women to dress modestly. Again, in context, that was in a culture where people went out of their way to show off their wealth by what they wore. And then in chapter 2, verse 11, he says, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I don't permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. Now, some churches historically have taken that literally, that women are not allowed to say anything at all in church. But that can't be what Paul means. Why? Because he says the very opposite in other letters. So, for example, in 1 Corinthians 11, he has this passage where he talks about when a woman prays or prophesies, she should have a covering on her head. Now, forget the covering on her head bit for a moment. That's an issue in its own right, almost certainly cultural. But just hear that first bit, when a woman prays or prophesies. Clearly, he expected women to pray and to prophesy, to bring a word from the Lord. So he cannot mean here that women must zip their lips in meetings and are lot allowed to speak. Probably what it's more a reference to is, well, there are a number of options. A woman should learn. This was in a culture where often women were not encouraged to learn. Paul wants them to learn. He wants them to learn as much as the men do, but he does want them to do it in in quietness and full submission, he he doesn't want them breaking the norms and and rules of life of those days. There is this challenging thing then of I don't permit a woman to teach or have authority. And listen, I've never tried in any of this series to take a particular line on things. And one has to be honest and say, still today, there are Christians who take that Differently, some see that as an abiding principle that women shouldn't teach or have authority over a man, probably interpret it mean an elder. And why? Because Paul goes on to say, Adam wasn't deceived, it was the woman who was deceived, so he's rooting it in a creation ordinance. Some think he is saying something here that addressed the situation in Ephesus particularly. And we know that in Ephesus, there was this great temple to Aphrodite dominated by women priests. Women ran the roost in that. And I think probably what he's saying here is that the church is not to become a copy of what they've been used to in the temple of Aphrodite, where it's the women who do everything. In fact, that might make sense of him saying just a few verses earlier, I want men to raise holy hands in prayer. So I just have to be honest and say, you know, Christians today do take slightly different views on that about the leadership issue. And I'm not here to solve that one today. But for our context in a local church setting, what it most certainly does not mean is that a woman is not allowed to speak and open her mouth. Paul definitely encourages women to both pray and prophesy, bring words from the Lord in his meetings.
1: Are there many examples in the New Testament, of women leading churches or having a leadership role? There aren't
0: that many. We do get some, and we get some very significant ones. Lydia, a dealer in high-end fashion, we call it, a dealer in purple goods, had a church that met in her home and she's mentioned by name. There are references in this letter to the women Deacons, without a doubt, it doesn't specify uh, women elders in chapter three, but in chapter three, verse 11, having talked about deacons, it says in the same way their wives, but actually the Greek could just as equally mean the deaconesses. It's impossible to tell from the Greek. Women clearly had a, they had a significant ministry in the life of Jesus. They were very supportive in all he did. And women play key and leading roles in the New Testament church. It doesn't look like we've got really examples of women perhaps being elders or apostles. There might be one woman who is referred to as an apostle, but the Greek is obscure and scholars disagree about what it means. But this is a reflection and of the culture in which they operated of course you know Paul's not writing this for us in the 21st century he's writing it for their context and sometimes all we can do is look at scripture and before the Holy Spirit say what does that mean for us today because we want to honor your word Lord and we want to be true to it now how does that get worked out in our very different culture today and do you know what Sometimes we'll come up with different answers to that, and we just have to be gracious and magnanimous enough to let that happen.
1: It sounds that if we were to read this first letter to Timothy with our current understanding, we have to take care as we read it and uh, and not misinterpret it for our situation today.
0: Yes, I think so. And and that works both ways. You know, it's very easy to come to any passage of the Bible and to think, oh, we live in the 21st century now. We've got much more knowledge about how these things work. And then to interpret the Bible to fit us equally, it's possible to be cherry pickers of verses, to take that and to say, Paul clearly says a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit her to speak. Full stop. Without saying, yeah, but Paul also says this. So if he says in 1 Corinthians, a woman can pray or prophesy, he clearly cannot have meant a woman may never open her mouth in a meeting. It must have meant something differently. Now, we might then disagree about what, but at least we've got to be honest and say he cannot have meant be silent, full stop, so, we have to come, I think, with humility, tenderness, openness to the Holy Spirit, trying genuinely to leave our cultural presuppositions aside. That's ever so hard. You know, we all come with cultural spectacles on, we all come with what we've picked up in our family or our church or our culture. But That's our job when we come to scripture to say, Holy Spirit, I I do want to understand, even if that means that I have to change how I do things, but equally not imposing our 21st century understanding on scripture and really looking for God, the Holy Spirit to help us see what does this mean? What's the exact equivalent meaning? of this for today, not how can I twist it to make it fit what I want or what my culture says, but Holy Spirit, what is the exact equivalent meaning of this for us today in our churches that we too might be the sort of people
1: that you're really pleased in. And as a church leader yourself and somebody who's encouraged many, many other church leaders, I'm sure, how have you found this first letter to Timothy most helpful?
0: I just think it's very encouraging because it It sort of, it recognises Timothy's weaknesses. It does not set him up as a plaster cast saint, which let's face it, we do with many of our leaders. And then the minute something goes wrong or they stumble, we say, aha, and we're the first to throw stones. So it doesn't set him up as a plaster cast saint. He's got weaknesses with his tummy. He's worried about, you know, what people think at times because he's, so young. In 2 Timothy, Paul's going to have to remind him to constantly go back to the prophetic words that were given to him when hands were laid on him. So there's an encouragement, I think, from this letter that, you know, we can be used by God without being Mr. Perfect, Miss Perfect. Here is a very real person who had very real challenges and weaknesses, sent into quite a challenging situation, and yet God used him. I love two of the verses in in the last chapter, in chapter six, where he gives this final charge to Timothy. He says, Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. It is a fight at times, not against people, but against stuff, against the devil. And he says, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Paul had entrusted this to him and he's saying, look after this well now. So we're not dealing with someone who is perfect who had all the answers he had his weaknesses he had his struggles he had his challenges and yeah as someone who'd been mentored by paul he just hung on in there he fought the good fight he ran the race and he did really well with this church
1: mike bowman has been talking to david taverner listen to more episodes anytime bible
0: books in 30 minutes. Through the Bible, book by book, from Genesis to Revelation, this is a United Christian Broadcasters production. For
1: more about UCB, check out the website at ucb.co.uk.